Welcome again, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, right here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Now, we get on the air every weekend because of the uh, the skills, the talent, the expertise of Alan Dempsey. He's the man behind the glass. And uh, Andrew Hertliska does our producing. And he's produced Dale Cryenkamp, who's on vacation at beautiful Marco Island here in our beloved state of Florida, founder of Thriving Through Transitions, author of How Long, O Lord, How Long? Devotions for the Unemployed and Those Who Love Them. Well, I hope all is well with you. Uh, Dale, welcome. How you doing? It's good to be here with you and your audience. Tell me about your new book. Well, my book is a devotional book for people going through unemployment. That's not something most people want to talk about. Most people want to avoid unemployment. But unemployment is pretty significant in our country every year. And this year, it is really significant. In fact, in a normal year, Pat, 21.7 million people will lose a job they didn't want to lose through a layoff, a discharge, or a job elimination. And I think that's about as many people that live in the state of Florida. That's a normal year. And this year, we saw close to 40 million people at one point in time. And today, there's still probably over 20 million people collecting unemployment because they're out of work through the unemployment system or the pandemic unemployment systems of independent contractors. So it impacts a lot of people. And I wanted to give back from my own personal experiences. I've been through it twice. And what I find is it's an emotional journey for people, and they're often surprised by that. And they think there's something wrong with them when they go through that. And so I wanted to give back to them a book that would help them with those emotions, that would help them understand there's nothing wrong with them, that would connect them or reconnect them with Jesus Christ as they go through that journey, because that's maybe the most important part of the whole process. And that's uh, how the book came to be. Is, um, you know, there's so many, uh, well over, well, 177 thoughts, but let's start at number 19, okay? Uh, <laughs> right. Because I like the sound of 19. Let's go. This is your race. Uh, t- tell us, for example, how this works. What do you say with this is your race? And this is your race. What I'd like the person who's unemployed to understand is, God gives us each an individual experience. My experiences are going to be different than yours. They're going to be different than the next person. And one of the biggest dangers we have is that we try and compare with other people. And so the real danger in that is, let's say a number of us lost a job at the same time. If two people find jobs within four months, and I'm still looking in six months, I'm automatically going to say, well, what's wrong with me because I'm comparing? And God doesn't want us to compare because he said, I have a plan for you. I have a path for you, and we're going to work on that together. And so it just becomes important that we recognize that my experiences are going to be my experiences, keep my eyes focused on him, and he'll lead us to wherever his plan is for us. Uh, Let's move to the next one. I can't believe this happened to me. You know, Pat, most people utter those words at some point in time. Even people that expect job loss, 
So they might know the company is struggling. They might know that there are challenges. They still say those words because it happened, and it, it all of a sudden became real. In my own situation, I was working on an organizational restructuring for the organization, and I was preparing all the plans for how we were going to help the people that were impacted, help the communications. And at the end of it, my boss stood there and said, Dale, your name is on the list. Mm. I can I can tell you it's not that I had never thought I couldn't lose my job, but when all of a sudden the reality hit, that's hard. And we think God should sometimes save us from that. So it's like, God, why did you let this happen to me? And there's a journey that we all go on, and it it is not a God that came and intentionally intended to harm us. But things happen in this world. What God will then do is use that and say, how do I make things better for you? If you're faithful and you trust in me, where do we go from here? So we'll all say those words. Those are normal words. We want to move on from that and say, okay, Lord, how are you going to use this? (coughs) Excuse me, Dale. Uh, Then you follow that up with just one word, why, question mark. That's topic 23. Yeah. Um, That's another one that people always ask, why did this happen to me? In fact, some people are going to say, well, why didn't it happen to this person I worked with? They're not very good at what they do. I'm better at them. Why did it happen to me? I don't know that we know why. And I sometimes think why is really the wrong question we should be asking. The real question we should be asking is, what do you want me to learn from this, God? Where do we go from here? Um, what do you want for me? How do I show my faith and trust in you as we move forward? But it's normal to ask why, but we got to get past that. We can't continue to ask that because God didn't intentionally do anything to harm you, but he will use it to shape you. And then you come back with the next topic. What will my family think? (laughs) Excuse me. You know, Pat, Families are an important part of this journey because what happens to the person that's unemployed, whether they are a single parent, whether they are married, it happens to the whole family. And we often don't know how they're going to react. So I have met people that didn't tell their family for over a week of what really happened to them. And that's not healthy. Families are our support system, so we have to be honest with them about what's going on, but we also need to be candid about what this means for us because we need their support because it's impacting them, too. It's not just about the person who lost a job. And I was blessed that my family responded really well, and they were very supportive, and yet it was a challenge, especially for my wife. And I think we often forget the spouse and how much that journey impacts the spouse. So I always encourage people, make sure you talk to your family. And if you have small children, make sure you're honest with small children. Recognize they've got some fears. Um, I had a good friend of mine who, when she had lost her job and was in between, she didn't talk much to the children. And later her son said, Mom, I thought we were going to lose the house and have to move somewhere. Now, they were nowhere near that situation, but she just hadn't really talked about it. And kids just go to the worst. 
Those little ears have big fears. And so talk to the family, be honest, and elicit them as part of it. Now, uh, let, me, let me just explain who we're talking to. Dale Cryenkamp, the book, How Long, O oh Lord, How Long, Devotions for the Unemployed and Those Who Love Them. Uh, uh, tell us about time to tell the world. One of the challenges that people have when they're unemployed is they need help of their friends, their connections, everybody that knows them. But our pride gets in the way. And we don't want to talk about that. We tend to kind of retrench. Um, I liken it to when I was in high school, I got cut from the baseball team. Not particular my finest moment in life. I really didn't want to come home and pick up the phone and call everybody and say, hey, guys, I got cut from the baseball team. It hurt. And when it hurts, we retrench. But when you're unemployed, you need people to know. And so we've got to tell everybody, hey, I'm out of work. My company closed. I've been laid off. Whatever the story is, and I need your help. And when our pride gets in the way, and it did the first time I was unemployed, I didn't do a very good job of that. And then I would run into people, and they would say, and this was after I'd been out of work for six months, Dale, I just heard you were out of work. I wish I would have known. I knew of a job, or we had a perfect job here at our company that would have been great for you. But because I wasn't very vocal at letting people know, they couldn't help me. So it becomes very important for people who are unemployed to swallow their pride and just get the word out, whether that's emails, social media, whatever, because there is goodness in people that want to help Pat. They really do. They just need to know they're needed. My guest is Dale Cryenkamp. We have more with Dale right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's the new AM 990 and FM 101.5 The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. Dale Cryenkamp, our guest, has an excellent new book out, How Long, O oh Lord, How Long, Devotions for the Unemployed and Lo- Those Who Love Them. Uh, talk to us about this next topic. It's simply, I'm angry. Pat, most people have some level of anger when they lose a job that they didn't intend to lose. When you walk in and say, I'm done, I'm moving on to a new job, anger isn't there. But when somebody comes and says, we no longer need you, you've lost your job, we've got anger. But often people don't think that they are able to um, be angry. So they keep it quiet. They keep it to themselves. And the challenge with anger is anger is kind of like an iceberg. It goes below the surface. And if you don't get rid of your anger, it's going to come back to haunt you at the time you least want it to. And in fact, it also keeps you from moving forward. So I always tell people, you have to find a way to get it out. And you might be a verbal person, which means maybe it's going to be best for you to go close a door in your house and just scream and cry and give it over to God that way. Or you might get a journal and you might write daily all the thoughts that are coming through your head, those thoughts of anger at circumstances or anger at someone, and use that to get it out. Or speak to a pastor or a Christian counselor. But in some way, you have to get that anger out 
and ultimately you have to give it over to God because you can't move forward if you're looking backwards. And anger keeps drawing us backwards, and it doesn't let us move forward. I've met people before who were networking, looking for a job, and I've had to say to them, I, I can't introduce you to anybody. You're still so angry. It is so visible on you. They like to think we can hide it, but if we don't get rid of our anger, it's going to hang with us. Now I want you to talk about how could God let this happen? Um, yeah, God, uh, God allows things to happen in our life. Um, he never promised us this perfect life that would not be full of challenges. So things are going to happen that we don't expect. And then it's, what do we do with that? How does he use that to help us? He promises to never leave us. He promises to never forsake us. He just asks that we put our trust in him. And so I have to accept that this wasn't maybe part of God's plan that I would lose the job, but God's plan won't be deterred. He will still find a way to work it through me through this experience. And now tell us about a time for everything. What time is it now? Two questions. What are they? Well, time is a time is a challenge for people when when they're unemployed. Um, candidly, we normally when we're working, we never have enough time, and then all of a sudden when we're not working, we've kind of got too much time on our hands. And so when we are focused looking for a job, we wish we were doing other things. When we're doing other things that might be fun, we think well, gosh, I should be looking for a job because if I'm not right now, I'm going to miss the opportunity that I was looking for. It's going to have happened in that particular day or that particular time. And one of the more important things is we have to accept that God wants us to focus on today, not tomorrow, not yesterday, but to focus on today because that's where he's with us. That's where we completely trust in him. And I always think it's important for people to give themselves permission to take time off. Uh, when you're in the job search, it's like, I have to keep looking for a job, and you try and spend way too much time looking for a job. You need to have a little bit of time off to recharge the batteries and rethink, what am I going to do next? How are my gifts and skills going to be used? And that opportunity comes when we have a little bit of time. Now, <clears throat> Dale, Dale Cryenkamp is with us. Here's the big one. What about finances? Yeah, that is, uh, that's going to be a tough one for everybody because we all have, I admit it, I do, we all have a fixation with money. And even people that have plenty of money will still worry about whether they have enough. Um, this is an opportunity to, uh, first of all, trust in God. And then as you look at finances, you're going to have to do some things maybe different when you're unemployed. You're going to have to say, I need to file for unemployment benefits. I need to accept that type of help so that it's coming in that way. We might have to modify some of our expenses. We might have to not do some of the things that we did. I really encourage people, though, whatever income stream is coming in, whether it's from unemployment, whether it's severance or whatever, 
still continue to give your tithe to the Lord. It's a way to just say, Lord, I still trust in you. I'm going to give you back what I have, and I may not have as much as I used to have, but he will deliver. And what I found as I talk to people, I can't tell you the number of people that have said, just as we were at the end of our savings that we had, a new job came. Just when we were about out of this, God came, because God's timing is his timing. It's not our timing, but he's never late, but he's often not early as we'd like him to be. Now, explain to us, I think I screwed up. Now what? Um, Pat, that, uh, that chapter in the book is about people who may have done something that caused their unemployment. They made a mistake. Maybe it was there's a relationship that they didn't nourish. Maybe their pride got in the way. And in some manner, way, shape, or form, they believe they caused their own unemployment. That's a really tough place to be. Because not only are you angry that you lost the job, but you're probably angry at yourself that this happened. When you admit that you screwed up, what we need to do is confess, yes, I screwed up. Be honest about it. And then we need to let it go, which isn't always easy because sometimes we want to beat ourselves up. God promises to take our sins and throw them as far as the east is to the west. He forgets them. And so we need to confess, and then we need to move on. And you're going to have to be willing to talk about what caused your unemployment. You need to be honest with it, because that next employer is going to say, why aren't you there? Be honest with what happened. If you made a mistake, admit the mistake. Admit what you learned from that mistake and move on. Employers like to know that people can learn from mistakes because we don't ever hire perfect people. They're prone to mistakes. What do you learn from it, and how do you move on? Now, Dale, explain to us, allowing for God's amazing grace, followed up by faith is a muscle. Well, uh, let me start with God's amazing grace. It's there. We just often don't look for it. We don't open ourselves up to other people helping us or God gifting things to us that are unexpected and maybe undeserved. In my career, I often would be the person that might pick up the tab for lunch if we went out or we had drinks. And all of a sudden, when I was unemployed, people would say, no, you can't pay for that. I've got that. If I had to swallow my pride and accept that others were making that offering to help pick that up, So God's going to surprise you. I just encourage people to look at it and be open to it. Um, And I have stories that, Pat, we could talk for the next hour, and I could tell you story after story of ways somebody said, God came out of nowhere to do something special for me in a time when I was struggling. And you said, you asked about the next one, faith is a muscle. Um, God expects us to in action. So faith is, it's a verb. It's about action. So I don't sit on the couch and say, hey, Lord, I'm going to be sitting right here. You just send me a job and I'll be ready for it. No, he expects us to be moving forward. We just have faith that he's going to direct our steps. He has faith that it 
in his time, he's going to open the door that needs to be open. We've got to be moving forward to make that happen. Um, and faith is like a muscle. If you don't use it, you'll lose it. And so it's really important to move forward and see where God takes you. He'll redirect the steps. If you're going in the wrong way, he'll close every door. When you start going in the right way, then all of a sudden doors begin to happen. And Pat, with this one, let me just share a little story. When I was first time unemployed, I had about 10 months of unemployment. That's a long period of time. And I looked for every job, and I had a lot of people that kept encouraging me to go into consulting. And when I finally said, okay, Lord, maybe this is where I'm supposed to be, and I went, he started opening doors. The phone started ringing with people saying, hey, I heard you're consulting. Can you help my friend? Or introductions were made, and things became very easy. So God's going to be with us, but he expects us to keep moving forward. He'll close the doors that aren't for us. He'll open the doors that are. And now we move to this interesting topic. (laughs) Don't speak poorly of others. Yeah. um, When you leave an employer, sometimes, especially when people have anger, they want to badmouth their former employer. That's not a good thing to do. That not only gets around, but it also says more about you than it does about the employer. I would imagine in your listening audience, there are some people that got the short end of the stick in how they lost their job. They maybe got treated very poorly. I don't doubt that that happens. I've watched it. I've met people that have had those experiences. They happen. But telling everybody about it doesn't help your situation. In fact, people begin to think, hmm, maybe there's more to this than there should be. So it's important to just speak well of your past employer. That was a chapter in your life. Like in any book, there are chapters, some are longer, some are shorter, but those chapters all end. It's time to move on. That was a great chapter in your life. And don't be sucked into it by people who want you to be angry. At my first job, I was there for 25 years when I lost my job and people wanted to be angry. And I thought, my gosh, I grew up here. My children were born in this time period. I was married when I worked there. I have great friends there. Why would I want to throw away those memories? So move forward, say nothing but good things about your past employer. How about this one? Where is my protector? What does that mean? Well, I think we often don't realize that God is there to protect us and to watch over us. We think it's all about us. And when you're unemployed, Pat, you pretty quickly understand you don't control much of anything. You cannot create a job. You cannot um, make someone interview you. You cannot make them hire you. You can influence those things. And as we go through this journey when we don't have any control, who's there to protect us? It's God. He's there to watch over us. He's there to help us along on this journey. We have the best protector of all if we just realize it, but we have to give it over to him and accept that we can't fix everything. We need some help. And now, Dale, I want you to do one more for us. I don't deserve this. Yeah, that's a, that's a really tough place to be in. 
because so many people would say, I was a faithful employee. I worked long hours. I sacrificed and didn't see all of my children's ball games. I was late for dinner. I traveled. I don't deserve for this bad thing to happen to us. And yet, bad things happen to good people. It isn't about something you've earned or deserved. You probably don't. But again, it's where do we go from here? We have a God that loves us, that comes to us in the deepest, darkest, most difficult places, and he's there to pick us up and help us carry forward. And so we just need to rely on him and trust him and accept that uh, you don't deserve it. I mean, uh, what, two days ago, the uh, football coach for the Philadelphia Eagles was fired, what, three years after winning a Super Bowl? Mm. I don't know that he deserved that, but he did. So it's going to happen. Where do we go next is the real question. Well, ladies and gentlemen, our guest in this first segment of the Power Hour has been Dale Cryenkamp. The book, How Long, O oh Lord, How Long? We've got more. Stay with us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word, in Orlando. We'll be right back. Dale Cryenkamp, our guest in that first segment, talking about his book, which is available on Amazon, by the way, How Long, O Lord, How Long? Devotions for the Unemployed and Those Who Love Them. David Swanson, Senior Pastor, First Presbyterian Church of Orlando is with us. David, I'm so glad to have the chance to hook up with you and, and have a nice chat here. How are you doing? I am doing well. I'm uh, I'm grateful for the invitation and uh, look forward to the conversation. David, tell me, uh, now that you've been here uh, probably longer than I think, um, <laughs> describe Orlando, Florida to uh, from your viewpoint from through your eyes. Yeah, I've been in Orlando uh, for 17 years. Wow! And uh, got here got here in August of '04, and was uh, uh, you know was part of those three hurricanes, Charlie, Jean, and Francis that uh, that blew in. And um, I would I would describe uh, Orlando as a uh, as a, a growing city, uh, a maturing city, um, from what I saw in 2004 to what I see today. In uh, in 2021, I I love uh, the way that our community has rallied together. Uh, I think we've shown great resilience in uh, different times, uh, whether that has been the pulse shooting or the uh, recent events with the uh, the uh, Floyd killing in Minnesota and uh, and uh, the the uh, rallies that we held in our city. I, I think there were some challenges that we faced, but we we always seem to be for each other. And and from my experience, you know, I was I was the chair of the board of the Central Florida Commission on Homelessness uh, for a couple of years, and then served on that board for six years uh, before that. And and I have seen this community. If there's a need, if there's something that we feel needs to be done, uh, it just seems like we're gonna we're gonna make that happen. Whether that was uh, with you and Jimmy Hewitt bringing the magic here years ago, or can we create a uh, uh, a system that's going to allow us to house uh, homeless people and address that problem. Uh, we seem to have a can-do kind of attitude in this community uh, that I've just loved. And so as a, as a pastor, a local pastor, um, 
if, if you're willing to give your time and your energy, that's the other thing I love about this community, is you can have a seat at the table. Um, people are looking for willing, uh, helpful volunteers to come and serve. And so uh, I think there, there are great opportunities for anyone who wants to try to help shape and mold the life of this community. There are places where you can do that. So I, I have just loved this city and this community and, and Central Florida. Uh, tell me your view about the late Jimmy Hewitt. Oh, my goodness. Jimmy Hewitt was a, has been a member of this uh, congregation for uh, longer than I've been here. But Jimmy Hewitt was one of the most loving, uh, one of the most generous, one of the most kind men uh, that I have ever known. I, I, uh, I don't think I saw anyone love others so uh, openly, um, so uh, affectionately. Um, he was always telling you that he loved you. Um, he would come out of church every Sunday morning and tell me that I was the greatest pastor that he has ever mm. seen in his life. And what I found out later was he told everybody that you were the, you know, you were the greatest electrician. You were the, you were the greatest teacher. You were the greatest student, whoever you were. He just truly believed that you were an awesome person. And he, you couldn't be near him and not be encouraged and feel better about yourself. And so when, uh, when he passed, it was a tremendous loss to our community. But at the same time, I, I think it allowed all of us to reflect on how, how we live our lives. And are we, are we loving and caring about others and investing in the life of our community uh, in the ways that he did? And I, I think that's a legacy that we all want to try to emulate. Tell me about your predecessor, Howard Eddington. You know, Howard uh, was a, a tremendous uh, influence in uh, in this community in the in the 80s and 90s. Uh, he left First Pres in 2002. I came in 2004. But but Howard's ministry was really about recommitting uh, First Pres to being a downtown church. You know, that was back in the days when, you know, if you were in the in the downtown corridors at church, uh, a lot of people were kind of fleeing the city center not just in Orlando, but in other cities as well, and churches were moving to the suburbs, and that was kind of the, uh, the flow. And, and First Baptist had just bought a, a piece of property that they're on now at, at John Young Parkway. And, and so First Pres was, you know, Howard Eddington led the decision, are we going to stay or are we going to go? And if we're going to stay, then we need to recommit ourselves to a, a vision for what being a downtown church looks like. And he even he even wrote a book about uh, being a downtown church. And uh, so we, uh, so First Press recommitted to staying and to being a, a city center church. And for years, our, our moniker was, you know, First Press, heart of the city. And, um, and he did a, a huge outreach called City Reach in 2001, where, you know, there were, I think, four or five nights where different speakers came in and choirs and uh, different things that were reaching out to students and uh, trying to bring a kind of a spiritual renewal to our entire community, but especially the downtown area. So um, when I got here, you know, all that was established, and I think uh, we've just tried to, to build on that as what does it mean to be a, a downtown church. And I love that First Pres is situated right on the, the doorstep of, the, uh, of government. It's right on the doorstep of the arts now with the Dr. Phillips Center downtown, and we are uh, right on the doorstep of, of all the uh, the, the focal points of business in this community. So uh, what an opportunity for our church to be a, a place of community, a place of support, a place of service, and a, and a place of influence. And all that really got rolling 
under uh, under Dr. Eddington. I was recently um, on your campus, David, at a um, junior high school basketball game, the David Swanson Court, by the way. <laughs> uh, tell, me, yeah. t- tell me about the Christ School on your campus. Yeah, and that was another, uh, some of the fruit of Dr. Eddington's ministry. Uh, he founded that, and the, the Christ School is celebrating their uh, their 25th anniversary this year. In fact, we're going to have a Mm. A special thing in worship for them in just a few weeks, but it's a it's a K through eight school uh, in the, obviously in the downtown corridor, and they have a uh, a commitment to a uh, uh, a broadly evangelical Christian education. So it's not really focused uh, so much on being Presbyterian as it is uh, that we're just we're, we're being Christian, kind of a view of a multi denominational approach to uh, Christian education. So you can come from any any walk of life and be a part of that school. And we want that to be one of, uh, of diversity as well. And so we're, we're growing in that aspect and, uh, and it's, it's K through eight. So you can, uh, uh, you can do a lot of your years here and there are robust programs in uh, uh, in the sciences, the STEM programs, uh, and also great athletic programs um, that we have uh, developed in recent years. I used to be the, uh, the coach for uh, seventh and eighth grade basketball teams, which I loved uh, coaching my sons as they came through. And then most recently, they have developed um, some specific programs related to dyslexia. And, uh, uh, you know, that is a very challenging uh, part for some students who uh, feel like they are uh, either not being welcomed or they're, they're just struggling to stay even with the other kids in their class just because of this one uh, challenge in their lives. And so, uh, we've created two classrooms that are uh, specific to students who have uh, dyslexia, and it has it has uh, really added to enrollment, and the families have just loved it. So that's become a uh, that's become a hallmark of, of the school just in the last year, and so we're we're very excited about their presence on our campus and uh, the partnership that we continue to share downtown. David Swanson is with us, senior pastor, First Presbyterian Church of Orlando. David, before we, I let go of the Howard Eddington thing there, did you think uh, sure. there, there's a way uh, to develop pipes uh, like Howard Eddington has? Uh, do you have any, <laughs> any, th- any thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd have to get a vocal coach and do a lot of, <laughs> do a lot of uh, training and work. Yeah, Howard had one of those, uh, you know, what I call a, a preacher voice. You know, he had one of those great deep, um, voices that when he talked, it kind of sounded like the voice of God. And, uh, yes. which if, if you're a preacher, you know, it's kind of like Randolph Bracey, you know, when he, uh, uh, when he, uh, preached, uh, you know, he's recently retired, but they're just great, um, great iconic voices, uh, in the pulpit. And, um, and that was, uh, one of Howard's great gifts. And so, no, I'm, that's, that's not, uh, that's not my style nor my gift. So I'll let, uh, I'll let Howard have that and uh, and just enjoy uh, the messages uh, that he offered for those many years. A great, a great preacher of the word and uh, and just a great voice to boot. David, I'll tell you who else has another voice to die for is Steve Brown. Uh, oh, he does. Who, who, yes. who we yes. hear here on the radio? Another former Presbyterian minister, but boy, he's got the good pipes as well. I. Oh, he he does. He does often wondered if that's a Presbyterian thing, but yeah, well, if it is, I wasn't in the I wasn't standing in the right line. So I guess I missed that. 
David, what does the Presbyterian Church stand for? What are the biggest challenges facing your denomination? You know, we are in a, a part of the Presbyterian Church, you know, and I often describe it. You know, the Presbyterians are like like toothpaste. There are different brands. You've got Crest and you've got Colgate, and, you know, they're all toothpaste, but they're a little bit different. And so we are a, a smaller brand. We're in the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, and we're a, we're a group of about 650 churches that are uh, all over the United States and uh, the Bahamas and, uh, and some churches in, uh, in Latin America and Puerto Rico. And so uh, we are not as large as some of the other Presbyterian denominations. But, I, you know, I think the challenges that face us right now uh, are, are primarily related to COVID. Because, you know, what has happened is um, very few people are, you know, probably about 20 to 25 percent of of church members are comfortable coming back to in-person worship. So we started worshiping in person again with masks and social distancing uh, in in the month of August. And we have about 20 20 percent of our people are in person, but the other 80 percent of our normal worshiping body, they're all worshiping virtually. And so when that happens for that long, you know, many people have been worshiping virtually since March. So over a time period like that, you develop different habits. You get used to doing things in a different way. And, and so we know um, that people are establishing new Sunday practices. And so when COVID lifts and it's once more safe um, to be in crowds, I think every church, not just ours, but every church, every denomination uh, is going to uh, quickly learn kind of who they are, because right now it's very hard to have a sense of yourself. Um, you, you used to kind of know who you were by who came to worship every Sunday morning, and you could see the people who were engaged and the people who were serving in different areas. Well, today you really don't have that. You don't really have that sense. And so there's going to be what I call drift and shift. Um, you know, right now people are drifting if they're not you know, they're, they're virtual, they're not comfortable coming in person. Well, if, if they're not disciplined, if they're not paying attention to it, they might not have done anything associated with this church or any other church for a period of weeks, and they pick up new habits. So on Sundays, instead of going to church, they may be going to do some kind of outdoor activity that is COVID-friendly, and, and they've kind of left, they've drifted, uh, so to speak, from the, the disciplines of the faith. And then you know, now on Sunday morning, you know, you can go to four or five churches, you know, in a, in a morning and kind of listen to who's doing what and see what may be unique. And so there may be people who are shifting, and we've, we've noticed people who have come into our body uh, and who have never been to a service here in person, um, but they have started taking part virtually and have even joined the church without ever having set foot in our sanctuary. So, man, talk about an unusual circumstance. And then there are people who have been, you know, a part of our ministry, and now they're kind of, they're drifting and shifting into other bodies, and they're going, hey, well, I'm, you know, maybe it's time for me to, to try something new. So I think when all this ends, I think the great challenge before us is every church is essentially going to be a replant. Uh, we're going to have to uh, quickly establish uh, who we are, um, who's committed, who's engaged, and then what are we going to do uh, moving forward to reestablish our body uh, in this community and in this downtown location. So uh, that's the big challenge we face. David Swanson is with us, senior pastor of Pres- First Presbyterian Church of Orlando. Uh, we have another segment with David. Stay with us. 
I do want to remind you we're trying to bring Major League Baseball to Orlando, and you can be a big help. Go up to the website, orlandodreamers.com, orlandodreamers.com, and just check in. Just register. Say, yeah, great idea. I'd like to see this happen someday. Uh, you can um, you can include me as as being a booster of all this. OrlandoDreamers.com. Uh, stay with us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word, in Orlando. More with David Swanson right after these messages. Stay with us. David Swanson is the senior pastor of First Presbyterian Church of Orlando and um, a great contributor. Uh, uh, David, one of the things you do, you do these little uh, essays on Sunday morning in the <laughs> Sentinel. What, what, what's that like for you? Well, that's an opportunity um, to just give voice to um, what the current issues are from my perspective uh, in the in the local community. And, and, you know, each week there are, you know, it's called a hundred voices, I believe. So uh, each week, all 100, you know, write something and those are all published online. But then they they'll put about, um, you know, usually 16 of them uh, will get published in print on Sunday mornings, and it's just an opportunity for people to see uh, local leaders and their opinions uh, on a variety of issues. So they've got, you know, they've got people writing who are, uh, you know, from different areas of, of the community and of different, you know, uh, perspectives and, and viewpoints. And then, you know, the other thing I try to do is, is write uh, my word essays and columns uh, that are, you know, much more lengthy, 700 words or so. Uh, that either deal with kind of a current issue like uh, COVID or, you know, the loneliness that people are feeling, the, the impact of faith in a season like this, which I think is so important that, that uh, you know, where people are spiritually in such a challenging time. So I, I try to write uh, there as well. And then another opportunity I've had is I'm one of the uh, Miami Herald's uh, 50 uh, state influencers. And so uh, every month I get a I get a poll uh, from the Miami Herald, and uh, I answer a series of questions. And then based on the opinions of all 50 of us, they write columns and editorials about what's happening all over our state. And then uh, there's a big gathering, uh, and I don't think that's going to be held uh, this year, but usually it happens in November, so maybe we'll be able to still do it in 2021. But in November, they gather all the influencers uh, that have written all year, gather us together, and we look at, you know, things like education, transportation, affordable housing, uh, taxes, um, all the things that are happening across the state that are kind of hot-button issues, and uh, talk about what we've learned and places where we still think we need to bring uh, some emphasis. And so that's been a, another place where I have felt uh, very, very privileged to be asked to serve. David, I've always wanted to ask this question of somebody uh, we, yeah. we we hear references to mainline churches. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what does that mean? You know, I think mainline churches would be the churches that were kind of your established uh, denominations over the last, um, I would probably say, between 75 and 100 years. So a mainline denomination would be Baptist, Methodist, Episcopal, Lutheran, Presbyterian, um, even Anglican and, and Roman Catholic. Um, and I, if I have left one out, I promise I was not intending to offend anyone. But that, that's generally the, the list. And, and then, you know, you've got coming along would be 
uh, disciples of Christ, the Christian churches, the assemblies of God, the American Methodist Episcopal Church, which has been a historically black uh, denomination. So you've got others that were kind of more on the periphery and perhaps were a little bit smaller. But those were the kind of the mainline churches that, you know, in the in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, those were the places where, you know, they were the churches on the town square. Uh, they were the, the churches that were uh, the largest and the most influential in our in our communities and, and our cities as they grew up uh, in the in the 20th century. And then, you know, you, you saw a shift uh, to non-denominational churches. So there was a move uh, that was, I think, against institutionalism in in churches. And people said, you know, these these denominations they're too institutional. They're they're too driven by committees. They're not nimble. They're too slow. Um, they, they're not changing rapidly enough uh, to fit the needs of the culture. And so uh, these non-denominational churches formed. And what's what's interesting is if if you believe in Matthew 28, which is we're called to you know go into into all the world, to all the nations, and make disciples and, and, and baptize them. You know if, if you're taking that seriously, then what you see in non-denominational churches. Is, is that they start growing and they start planting churches in other in other cities and other communities. If you're gonna if you're gonna take the the gospel to the world, you're gonna have to organize in some way. You're gonna have to become institutionalized to be more efficient in the accomplishment of that goal. And so now, what you see in non-denominational churches is that they're even becoming little mini denominations. And so you've got a collection of churches like the Acts 29 network. Uh, you've got Andy Stanley has planted a whole host of churches. Uh, you've got the uh, uh, the Redeemer Presbyterian uh, Church Network that's being planted out of uh, Tim Keller's group in New York. And uh, so, you know, those are all just kind of little smaller denominations uh, in that sense. But the, the main line, I think, has, has hewed much more um, to uh, being middle of the road, being more liberal than, uh, than many of your— uh, your non-denominational churches. And so what you've seen is the main line has shrunk, and the more conservative denominations like the Evangelical Presbyterian Church or the Presbyterian Church in America or the Missouri-centered Lutheran Church, the conservative churches are the ones, uh, and I'm, you know, that's not blanket uh, true across the board, but certainly there's been more growth uh, in the, the, uh, the non-denominational world and in the smaller denominations than the main line. And uh, so, you know, for instance, the largest Presbyterian denomination in our country is the PCUSA, and, and they've been losing, you know, several hundred thousand people a year for years. And um, and so I, I think that's why that the main line has generated, that phrase, the main line, uh, uh, has generated lots of conversation as they have been declining for years. And is it possible that that's going to experience renewal, or at some point, are those are those mainline denominations, are they going to wind up going out of business? So uh, I think that that remains to be seen. So, but that is a, that is a struggle. David, uh, a, a Christian parent, okay? Uh, yeah. Do you um, do you recommend uh, that their children go to Christian high schools, Christian colleges, or you know, I th- or does it I not think, matter? Uh, yeah, I think there's great value in that, and I, I would tell you that, uh, you know, for us, for Lee and I as parents, so much of it depends on the personality and the maturity level of your child. Mm-hmm. And so I think, there, I think there are some kids 
who are who are ready for a public school environment. And so for me and Lee, uh, we we sent our kids to, uh, to private school, uh, Christian school in elementary school and middle school, and then they went to uh, public high school. They all went to Winter Park High School, and we did that intentionally. We wanted our kids um, to experience um, that uh, world, that that kind of secular education, uh, where they were going to experience things that they'd never seen in, in Christian education. They were going to hear words and meet people with different views. They were going to see a whole lot more people uh, from different races and ethnicities, and we wanted them to experience all that and to understand that there was a much larger world out there so that when they came home that they could uh, wrestle with that with us uh, as their parents under our roof, and we could share with them a Christian understanding of things like human sexuality and how do we understand racial justice and uh, how do we understand all the the hot-button issues that are going on in public schools today that are just a microcosm of the, of the larger culture. So uh, our kids were ready for that, and, so they, and they had a wonderful experience at Winter Park High School. Now, you know, you're going to find kids that got other challenges and issues, and, and maybe they're, they're not ready for that. And, and then all my kids went to public universities. So they went to uh, University of Florida and to Auburn uh, University uh, or the places my kids went. But again, there are wonderful Christian schools like Wheaton and uh, and Taylor and um, and King College and Montreat College, uh, and those could be wonderful uh, places where you're going to go uh, get that uh, Christian influence. But I think there are a lot of things that we need to learn as Christians if we're going to if we're going to step into the secular world and if we're going to be salt and light. I think we need to have some understanding of how that world works. And uh, you can't learn that unless you're in it. I, I, I am not a person that believes that as Christians we're called to separate ourselves from the world. Uh, if you're going to be salt and light, you know, the salt's got to be in the food or you're not going to be salty. So um, I feel like we need to, we need to be um, – I'm just not one who thinks we need to build Christian enclaves uh, that separate ourselves from the world. Uh, how's the world going to know the hope and the promise and the joy of the gospel unless they see Christians – uh, in the midst of it, living and serving and loving other people well. Uh, that's how we bear faithful witness, and I, I think that's true uh, even in the realm of education. David Swanson, senior pastor of First Presbyterian Church of Orlando, has been our guest here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Stay tuned. We've got a wrap-up on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. In that first segment, Dale Cryenkamp uh, came along and talked about his new book, Oh, How Long, Oh, Lord, How Long. And then David Swanson, senior pastor of First Presbyterian Church here in Orlando, joined us for an interesting discussion. So glad that both of them could join us. Uh, I have a brand new book that's just out. It's called The Reluctant Leader. Uh, it's a book about leadership and, and people who just are reluctant to step up when opportunities to lead present themselves. Um, I think you'll enjoy it. Go up to Amazon. That's the best way to order it. Amazon. Uh, the book is called The Reluctant Leader. Pat Williams here, your author, and um, I hope you enjoy it. Advantage Media Group put the book out. We'll be back next weekend for more. On the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, stay tuned all day long to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. 
and have a terrific week ahead.